Dear God, today is going to be big. The most watched daytime of the year. Over 6 million worldwide. If I were the king of the world. Your home is set up to serve the... You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, I ain't. Praise be to he. You answer the rock and the It's gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? That is not paid for by them. That is paid for by the people of Detroit. You might be qualified in there. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay? You want to go right now? Hey, kids, it's your old pal ML Elric back with the soul of Detroit. We are starting early today because we have a special guest, Craig Mauger, who's breaking some big news today. We're going to let him talk about that before he has to go and actually finish breaking that big news, but we're talking today about Lee Chatfield, the former Speaker of the House, who turns out to have been one of the most prolific fundraisers in Michigan legislative history. And I think we had an inkling about that, but just how much he raised and where it all went, only Craig Mauger knows, and he's telling all. So he joins us again this morning, and of course, he's a Capitol reporter for the Detroit News. So Craig, thanks for coming in. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And I don't know where all the money went, just some of it. Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's the problem with our laws is that you got to be a pretty, exactly. a pretty resourceful cat to find out even where 15% of it is. But in this case, when you're talking 15%, you're talking seven figures. And Craig's going to tell us a lot of it went to just a few people, some of whom share DNA with Lee Chatfield. Oh, what a in, shock. Including a guy who shares DNA with the woman he shared some DNA with. But that's a little complicated, and we want to try and keep it sophisticated. So we're going to get back to that in just a minute. But uh, before we before we get to uh, Sean Windsor, who dials in again, he's zooming in from uh, from his safe house and uh, and vineyard in uh, Washtenaw County. So that's a very very convivial place to uh, recuperate. Mark Fellhauer is here in studio, and we will be joined shortly by Carl Erickson of Altus, who is going to do a live taste test for us with the. New original Altus. No, that doesn't make sense. We'll explain that when he gets here. And the new Sportsman, which is uh, a pretty, pretty malty uh, treat. So, uh, so we're going to have Carl here shortly. But first, we want to tell you a little bit about the people who make this show possible. That is Luke Nowacki and Hall Financial, who uh, have been generous to sponsor this show almost from the beginning. Hall Financial is where you can get a deal done fast, which you want to get a deal done fast because those interest rates are going up almost as we speak. Is that not correct, Mr. Fellhauer? Well, that is correct. There's a degree in economics from the University of Michigan. Breaking what? Huh? Breaking news. Uh, economics? Too. I just got a new I got a new read for him. Oh. I mean, no, I'm going to tell you all this stuff off the top of my head. Um, all financials, the most client focused mortgage company in the industry. They're now covering the cost of your appraisal, saving you up to 750 bucks over the last two years. Home values have drastically increased, which means you could be sitting on thousands of dollars in untapped home equity. So right now a cash out refinance could help you get some money to pay off debt or start remodeling, uh, do one of those home projects. Everyone loves doing take the next step and chat with the five-star team at callhallfirst.com. They have nearly 5,000 five-star reviews. Why would you go anywhere else? Get started today. Once again, that's callhallfirst.com or call them 866-CALL-HALL. And when you call them, ask for Dan Morrison and, and let him know his pal ML Elric sent you. I was going to say they want uh, they want me to do a, uh, read one of the reviews, but I knew you used them, so you would give me a good one. Yeah, I gave them two five-star reviews, and if 
if houses weren't so damn expensive, I'd be looking to do a third deal with them. But uh, when you're unemployed, it's really a bad time to be purchasing property. But if anybody could make that deal work, it would be Dan over at Hall Financial. But the good thing is I'm a big saver. And so I, uh, I can be unemployed for a little while because I've planned for the future. If you're someone who needs some help planning for the future, our pal Luke Nowacki is a good guy to call. Yeah, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4740. And he's going to give you rational financial advice. The market is totally insane right now, all over the place. Stocks, bonds, how do you allocate that 401k? What do you do with a 529? All that fun stuff. Get advice, get a strategy. Once again, Luke Nowacki, Pinnacle Wealth, 248-663-4748. Because Luke will make it all about you, sweetheart. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRAS.TC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Yeah. So there's a different sweetheart that has Louis Chatfield uh, in the news. Uh, often when our speakers of the house leave, and it happens every two years because of term limits, it's like a revolving door. They get into lobbying, and we really don't hear that much about him. Uh, Lee's had a few problems. He made some comments about about uh, same-sex relationships that cost him a job, a very lucrative job, working in southeastern Michigan. Um, and then it was his sweetheart, who happened to be his brother's wife, so that's a little creepy, who got him in trouble with... Uh, with uh, well, I guess, I guess, I don't know. At one time, the Republican Party was really big on morals, and maybe they're not anymore because he admitted to, well, yeah, I did have sex with that woman, but I had sex with a lot of women, and uh, I didn't just didn't have it with her when she was underage. So I guess that's okay. Um, you know, we're not we're not the fun police, so you guys can work that out on your own time. But this also opened a window into his lifestyle, both as speaker and uh, and beyond showing that he raised a lot of money. Uh, nobody knows more about political fundraising in the state than Craig Mauger of the Detroit News, who reported that through various entities, Chatfield raised $7 million, and nearly a million of that money went to the friends and family plan. So, Craig, uh, take it away. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate you all having me on. I mean, essentially, we're at this moment in, in state government in Lansing where we've had lawmakers for years now using nonprofit funds that don't have to disclose who their donors are or where the money is really going have basically been, you know, used by the majority of lawmakers. These funds have been running rampant. And now these allegations against Lee Chatfield have a lot of people in this city worried that maybe investigators will start looking at these funds. And we don't, we don't know for sure whether that will happen or not, but that is a lot of the concern among the individual operators here at the state capitol. The funds we do know about, the money we do know about with Lee Chatfield, uh, you know, shows that he was one of the biggest political fundraisers this state has seen. Millions upon millions of dollars in campaign donations pouring into his candidate committee and four political action committees that he operated. Yes, that's right. Four political action committees at the same time. And he was essentially using these funds to boost House Republicans' efforts to maintain a majority in Lansing, but also he was using them to pay family members and friends and their firms. Uh, he paid uh, 50000 each to two of his brothers for wages over his time in Lansing. 
He paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in consulting fees to a firm called Victor Strategies, which was operated by two of his top staffers. And what this gets at, you know, is is what comes of this type of self-dealing. We don't know if what these individuals were doing with this money was improper. On its surface, it seems to be allowed under Michigan law. It more than seems to be allowed. It, it was allowed under Michigan law for a lawmaker to essentially channel money that they were raising from political donors, from interest groups, to consultants who were directly connected to him. That seems to be allowed under state law. And uh, it, it, w- it would also permit, uh, you know, down the road, if, if there was someone that wanted to take advantage of this, someone to essentially self-deal. Someone else did this. And, and we don't know. Uh, all the details of what was happening with with Mr. Chatfield's funds. But uh, you could see a situation where there could be a lot of problems here. If someone picks someone to be their treasurer to oversee their funds, and that person is also running the consulting firm that is the number one vendor of those funds. Yeah. So we talk a lot about incestuous relationships in politics. Well, this fills the bill in every sense. It was incestuous in that he was having an affair with his brother's wife, and the money was incestuous. The money was coming in to the campaigns. It was coming into the various committees. It was going back to the family. But the two biggest uh, beneficiaries of this uh, political largesse were his, um, his director of external affairs, who was already making 116 grand of the city's money, uh, excuse me, the state's money, which is really our money. And his chief of staff was making 164 grand, Craig reports. They were getting money on the side, both being paid by the committees, both being hired by entities that probably wanted to win favor with influential peoples like, I don't know, the director of external affairs and perhaps the chief of staff and perhaps with the speaker of the house himself. As Craig reported in the Detroit News, and we'll have a link to that story on our website, uh, everybody thinks this is troublesome, but nobody thinks it's illegal, which tells you just what a dog pile our campaign finance laws are. But Craig, I'll tell you as someone who ran for office, everybody I could get in my family who, uh, who could help out of my campaign worked on my campaign. Uh, you know how much they got paid? Zero. In fact, uh, my wife took a leave of absence for a couple of months to do some back office stuff just to kind of organize some things. She wasn't being paid by her employer, and we didn't cover her salary because when you run for office, it's understood that your family is a part of the campaign and that you're running for office to help other people, not to help feather your family's nest. How often do you see this where people use campaign funds to basically write checks to their kinfolk? It does not happen very often. I mean, there are definitely situations where lawmakers' campaigns will reimburse themselves or a family member for something that was related to holding office. You know, let's say uh, your family member bought a ticket to like a, a political dinner and you, the office holder, were going to attend. You reimburse that person the $50 for the ticket because it's a political expense. Stuff like that happens. But when it comes to family members being paid wages to actually work for the campaign, that is extremely rare. And it's exactly because of what you're talking about. For the wide majority of these lawmakers serving in Lansing, they're not 
as influential as Lee Chatfield was, you know, the Speaker of the House decides what bills get voted on. That is in his court to decide. Most lawmakers don't have that kind of power. And most lawmakers depend on their family members to work for their campaigns as volunteers. I had one lawmaker, Senator Ed McBroom, who said, you know, he, he would never think about paying someone like his staff members or family members this, this kind of money because he was scrimping for every dollar that he could raise to run his campaign. He said he would be lucky to give his volunteers a pizza at the end of a day of door knocking. So this is very unusual. And it's extraordinary that these these Menards, and if I had a better singing voice, I'd say, make big money with Menards. They uh, they were paid handsomely by the state to do what, in my experience, has been a very full-time job. If you're chief of staff for the Speaker of the House, that really is an 80-hour-a-week job. But on the side, they were running a consulting firm, and they were taking all kinds of contracts. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, how did they explain this? Yeah, I have not seen anything to this extent uh, in state government. They have not really explained themselves. I mean, Ann, Annie and Rob Menard have been very quiet through all of this. They haven't answered my questions. They haven't answered other reporters' questions. Actually, Annie Menard is still on the state payroll. Last time I checked, which was last week, making $40,000 as an event and affairs coordinator and appears to still have her consulting business going. Well, she, she, how could she just scrimp by on what uh, the taxpayers are giving her? I mean, she's got to have the side hustle. Mm-hmm. And she's the treasurer. She's the, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what anybody's official title is. She was the treasurer for his political action committees. Is that what she was? She was the treasurer for four of the PACs. She was also uh, heavily involved in nonprofit organizations, uh, at least one that was directly tied to Lee Chatfield. Uh, she was listed as uh, the main agent for one of these nonprofits. Her consulting firm, Victor Strategies, was paid in one year in 2020, $150,000 by this nonprofit, the Peninsula Fund. So, I mean, all signs are with that nonprofit, which was raising hundreds of thousands of dollars, that uh, she was crucial to deciding what that organization was up to. And again, with that one, we don't know all the details of how it was spending its money. We know that it was spending lots of money on trips. uh, And I think it was $150,000 on trips and entertainment for public officials. They disclosed, we don't know where those trips were to what that entertainment was, but we do know that kind of vague description of of what the expenditures were really really dumb question craig why did he have four packs why would anyone need four of them is there like a a limit i mean isn't isn't the idea of packs like you don't really know where the money's coming from yeah that's a great question so with these packs we do know these packs are different from the nonprofit in that we do know where the money's coming from why have four of them well Excellent question. And it's because he was such a good fundraiser. And this is rare in state politics as well. The PACs can take in unlimited amounts of money from donors. So if a donor wants to go to the PAC and say, here's a million dollars, the donor can do that. The catch is when that PAC wants to turn around and give money to someone else, there's a limit on how much money that can that PAC can give to a candidate. So when you have four of these PACs, you can essentially give four maximum contributions to a candidate or as Speaker Chatfield did to the caucus committee of House Republicans. If you want to boost the caucus committee, you can now give four maximum contributions by having four PACs. This is essentially 
you know, a way around our contribution limits, but it's a way around the limits that everyone in Lansing appears to be on board with. I mean, this could very easily be something that they fix, saying you can have one leadership pack if you're an office holder, but they all know that this is occurring and they're all allowing it to continue. So are these packs, do they have different missions? I mean, is there one that says, uh, uh, Pack to preserve the Second Amendment. Pack to limit government. Pack to to fight mask mandates. Packs to, or are they just like uh, Pack A, Pack B, Pack C, Pack D. Pack them all in because we're going to spread the money. It was essentially the latter of those. It was his packs were named Chatfield Majority Fund, Chatfield Majority <laughs> Fund Two, Chatfield Majority <laughs> Fund Three, and Chatfield Majority Fund Four. So I was just being a smartass. I didn't think anybody would name something. So little, obvious, but that was way more obvious yeah. than even with them. than I was uh, I was positing. Um, <sighs> but you're saying none of this is technically illegal that, that that you can find out. Is there any illegality in what he's what he did with the money that we can figure out? I mean, on the surface of what we know now, it it, it meets uh, the requirements of our state law, which granted are very loose. And there's a lot of holes in these campaign finance laws. But from what we know on the surface, this all seems to be allowed. I mean, there are some potential catches here. If you are paying wages to a family member and you're paying them large amounts of wages, like Speaker Chatfield was, there are certain tax withholdings that that person has to do as an employee of the campaign. You know, we can't tell from these disclosures if those tax withholdings were happening or not. That's something that the campaign finance experts that we've talked to had highlighted saying, you know, were they withholding the amount of money that they were supposed to because of this income that they were making off these various committees? We don't know that. Uh, you know, there are other, we, we don't know all of what's being alleged at this moment. Because Rebecca Chatfield, the sister-in-law here who alleges that uh, Lee Chatfield was abusing her sexually from the time when she was about 15 years old, her attorney, Jamie White, has said that there are some type of unspecified financial allegation involving Speaker Chatfield that is also out there. We don't know the details of that. And as as Uh, Craig has reported, uh, Chatfield's attorney in these – defending him against these allegations of basically – uh, I, I guess sexual assault by this young woman who went on to marry his brother. Um, she said he's done nothing wrong. Everything's above board and, and then there's no illegality here. So we want to make sure that, that, yeah. uh, that we get that out there as well. But uh, Craig, you know, file the money's a big thing. And, and one of the reasons why, why we're talking about Chatfield is because he was such an influential guy. He was involved in supporting some projects here in Detroit. So there's, this has an impact on Detroit. The fact that, these people who worked for them were being paid taxpayer money means some of our money went into their pockets. But people ask me, how does this compare to Kilpatrick? And, and Kilpatrick had family charities and he had a nonprofit that siphoned money off to friends and family and things like that. But I have to tell you, having spent years looking into that and having read the work you've done in just the past month or two, Chatfield has taken this to another level. This, this, is, this appears to be way more ambitious and it appears to be way shadier than Kwame Kilpatrick was. And that is saying a lot. Yeah. I, and it's, it's a, it's a fascinating situation too, as your listeners are thinking about this, you know, this is in some ways the tip of the iceberg in terms of 
all of the fundraising that happens in Lansing. I mean, we are somewhat rare among other states where such a large number of the lawmakers who serve a block from where I'm talking to you right now in the state capitol have these nonprofit fundraising accounts where they're raising money from people that we don't know who those people are. We don't know what they're doing with the money. We don't know if they're giving it to family members to do things. We don't know if they're spending on things that are loosely uh, tied to their their obligations uh, than they should be. We have no idea because there are no disclosures for these groups that let us uh, have a window into that. And this just goes on and on. There are a lot of people who are worried about you know, what's going to come of all of these allegations with Chatfield, who are people that donate money to these type of funds. So the lobbyists in Lansing who work closely with the lawmakers are watching this. Um, this is a big potential story in Michigan government. This state is notorious for not being very transparent when it comes to government from what the, where the gov- where the governor's going herself. And I mean, we learned all that a while ago with the whole plane thing um, to this situation with Chatfield. Is there any reason to think this will ever, ever change because it benefits the people that make the rules. It, it benefits the people who make the rules. I think this Chatfield situation is going to spur more talk about reforms. It already has. Senator Ed McBroom, the Senate Oversight Chairman, has been talking about introducing some type of bill that would limit the amount of money that these type of accounts can pay family members and staff. Who knows if the legislature uh, as a whole will be on board with that. Uh, you know, ethics proposals were not a big part of Governor Whitmer's state of the state speech. You know, if she wanted yeah. to highlight that issue last month, she could have. She chose not to. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the people who run the state legislature know how to fix these things. Uh, they know the bills that they could take up to change what's happening. And they're currently and have been for years choosing not to do that. And that's just the facts of the matter. So, Craig, before we let you go, because we know you've got some work uh, you're, you're hoping to break today, were you able to determine whether there were particular entities who were especially generous in fueling these individual PACs and these, um, these nonprofits? Because we should be clear, the PACs have to disclose things, but there are also outfits where the money goes in and we don't really know how it comes in and we have some very vague details about how it goes out. Were there some folks who were especially generous and have you been able to ascertain if there were, whether they got a return on their investment? You know, I have not been able to dig into that uh, as much as I want to. And I think that's a great idea for a follow-up. I will, I will hold up this document right here. This is the tax filing for 2020 for the Peninsula Fund, which is a nonprofit organization tied to Lee Chatfield and his staff. This organization raised seven hundred and fifty-three thousand dollars in twenty twenty from anonymous donors. Seven hundred and fifty-three thousand. It's right here. You can't really see it from anonymous donors. We don't know who those people are. So, if you want to hide that you're doing legislation for something for some donor that's tied to you, there's a easy mechanism to do that in Michigan. Have them give to one of these nonprofits because they don't have to disclose anything. Uh, about where their money's coming from. Yeah, that's it's an outrageous situation and uh, and apparently totally legal, which is even more outrageous. Craig, before we let you go, what's what's the next big scoop coming out of uh, Craig Mauger at the Detroit News? Uh, we have a story today in the news. Go out and uh, read it on our website if you if you can uh, about this push that Donald Trump's campaign was involved with to have Republican presidential electors sum- submit a certificate 
claiming that Michigan voted for, for Donald Trump in the 2020 presidential election. We've gotten our hands on some emails that we're detailing in our story today. So thanks for the opportunity to plug that important piece. Yeah. So check that out at debtnews.com. We'll have a link to all of Craig's stories that we're talking about on our website, which is mlsolvedetroit.com. Craig, thanks for coming. I know you got to work, uh, but keep breaking the big stories. This was a story, the affair with Lee Chatfield and his sister-in-law was broken originally by another news organization. But yeah. like all great reporters, Craig said, uh, nice job. Now I'm going to steal this from you. And so now <laughs> he is driving the Chatfield bus, which as we heard in some of these stories, the Chatfield bus made stops at the Shinola hotel at a strip club downtown. So, you know, some of that yeah. money did go into the local economy. So we should thank the former speaker for that. So thanks, Mr. Chatfield. Uh, a dollar at a time into a G-string, but I guess it all gets declared on taxes at the end of the year. Hey, thank, thank you for having me. Because strippers never lie. Thanks, Craig. We'll have you on again soon. So keep up the great work. Thanks. Oh, what an amazing story that will go nowhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? I hate to be that person, but you just feel like nothing's going to change. Well, the, the interesting thing is one of the guys who Craig uh, – quotes in his story who is is pretty outraged about this is another republican a senator uh, ed, ed mcbroom yeah and he's talking about Good doing guy. something about yeah. it and right now when you're in the legislature if you're not a republican uh, it ain't happening so the fact that a republican is talking about doing this is significant and when when kwame kilpatrick got into trouble there were some there were some things that he was doing that um that were legal that benefited politicians and I remember quoting somebody at the time as saying, uh, you know, the only people who can change this are state lawmakers, but they'll never do it because they stand to benefit from it. And lo and behold, state lawmakers did make a change that closed that loophole. So it is possible that when we have one of these outrageous situations, we could have some reform. But uh, cross your fingers because I, I got a feeling – they're going to spend most of this year fighting over the budget, fighting over masks, fighting over a whole bunch of crap that um, allows them to run out the clock on this. Because when uh, when when I exposed uh, State Rep. Betty Cook Scott for not going to work anymore after she lost uh, a primary election and her political career was basically over, she had to go to work once a week, actually, because she had to go to submit her expenses so she could get a check. <laughs> I spoke to the Speaker of the House at that time, who is uh, um, uh, Leonard, uh, Tom Leonard, who um, was going to run for Attorney General. And uh, and he said, oh, yeah, you know, we really should do something about this. But, you know, we're real close to the end of the session. So I just I don't know that I could get everything going at, by the end of the session to really do anything about this. But thanks for bringing it to our attention. It's outrageous. And I said, well, OK, you know how this place works better than I do. And, you know, we put all that on TV. Not too long after that, he got up all involved in a bunch of other shit that hadn't even happened until after we had our interview. So, you know, there's always time to get something done if you really want to get something done. But a lot of the times, these guys don't want to get anything done. Hey, Carl, good to see you. Hey, we are joined in studio. And uh, I should have told Sean this because he might have, he might have, uh, he might have snuck out in a hazmat suit. But we are being joined by Carl Erickson, the, uh, the godfather of Altus beer. And he's got a couple of god uncles there, but uh, they're yep. not here. One so. of the godfathers. That's right. One of the, the patrons who is, uh, you know, you've heard us talk about Altus on this show for a long time. The Detroit original that's back. And I know a lot of people have tried it because they keep saying, hey, is Altus still on your show? I said, well, it's still on our shelves. And uh, Carl hooked us up 
with uh, he was kind enough to make a keg of beer available for the Winter Classic that uh, we put on at Clark Park that raised a lot of money. How quick did uh, that go? Uh, you know, it, it went pretty quick, but we didn't finish it. It was a half what? barrel, and so we took it. We took it to another rink and we put another dent in it. And the guys who skate at that rink have their own locker room. And they said, uh, if you want to leave this behind, you know, we'll finish it off and we'll drop, we'll drop the keg by your house. And I said, okay, but I've had people say that before and I've had to pump out the keg and it's, it's a very heartbreaking thing. Anybody who's gone to Michigan can't State you can't finish uh, it. knows you can't, you can't pump out a keg. And the next day I got a phone call from this guy. I said, hey, I'm dropping the, I'm dropping the keg by your house. Totally said, dry. Is it empty? He said, it's empty. Nice. So well done. So, and that was the original Altus. The Sportsman is, uh, you know, I think we would have finished it that night. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different. It yeah. seems a lot of people really, really like the Sportsman. So, um, we're going to do a little taste test here, Sean. Uh, this is going to be theater of the mind. I want you to pretend <laughs> you're tasting this, and then describe yes, the sensation for us because you are, you are a wizard of the words. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, that's Sean we know and love. <laughs> so uh, it, while we're while we're passing these beers around, um, Sean, fantastic column about the Flores situation. Talk about how Jim Caldwell case closed on this notion of whether black coaches are really just getting the run around. I mean, you nailed it. They, they never should have fired Caldwell in the first place. At least not for the bum they brought in. And ah, cheers. Without and, a doubt, yeah. And uh, and the fact that uh, he hasn't got another chance. I mean, come on. So tell tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write that, and what kind of uh, what kind of feedback you got. Because I imagine your inbox was uh, was was packed pretty hard after that. Let's start there with the inbox. I was actually shocked because I got emails from readers who were worried about my inbox. Right? Kind of like kind of like euphemism. Yeah, right. Kind of like you just uh, you just mentioned. I would say of all the emails I got, I had one or two that uh, pushed back a little bit. And you know, well, what about the players? We sh- we should have equal white and black players and that kind of thing. Just not understanding power dynamics, history, the country. We do. We got Dill McCaffrey, right? Or no? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But but other than that, I think I think it's just Mike. I think it's because it was at the time I wrote it, and this could change here because there's still some openings in the NFL for head coaches. But at the time I wrote it, there's one black coach out of 32 teams. And and I think that's just so striking to people. They're like, okay, yeah, that's a problem. So what are they going to say? Right. What are they going to push back? How are they going to try to try to rationalize that? And then, and, and that was really kind of the theme that I had. Plus real quickly, Mike, I remember when Caldwell was let go and, and he did, he struggled uh, with some things like all coaches do. None of them are perfect. None of us are perfect. So, you know, any, did he have the talent to win more games? Probably not. And I look back at what I wrote, and I remember getting an email from a reader who was black at the time saying, look, why aren't you treating Brad Ausmus this way, who was the Tigers manager at the time, who was uh, a little bit more in over his head, way in over his head more than Caldwell was at the time. And and you just you kind of look back and you think, God, was I fair with that? Was I looking at the at the larger context of what was going on? And I'm not sure I had been. And so I was motivated by that in part. You and I remember when Caldwell. Now, when you say Caldwell didn't have enough talent to do better, you mean the players, not that Caldwell himself couldn't have done better because yes, he took yes, a team yes. to the Super Bowl. He's credited he was, with really helping Peyton Manning. You know, well, not reach. just that. And 
real quickly, he the, the the last team he got to the playoffs was the first time I think in in modern NFL history a coach had gotten a team to the playoffs without a single Pro Bowl player. Yeah, and and uh, you know what's funny? I just thought of this as you were talking because I was going to ask you what was what's the most black coaches the NFL's ever had at one time? It couldn't have been more than half a dozen, four or five, four I or think. five. It, okay, yeah, something like that. So so this is where my mind went. Uh, there's one more black coach in the NFL than there is in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, right. I right. mean, the NHL is about to lap the NFL. They just got to hire one brother and they're tied. But Sean, why is it when, uh, when you do talk about black coaches in the NFL, um, it's always called well. And then I saw the Texans hired Lovey Smith. I mean, it's, it tends to be recycled where and there's this big youth movement uh, for head coaches in the NFL. Where are the young black coaches that are coordinators now? Why aren't they getting looks? Well, you know, you think about Byron Leftwich, right? Right, is the offensive coordinator for yeah. Tampa, who's a part of a Super Bowl team last year. Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator with Kansas City. You know, that's a pretty good organization, right? Been in four straight AFC Championship games, and you keep seeing these names, and then it doesn't happen. And then sometimes you'll see stories that hint at personality, which I, I think is code. You know what I mean? It's just and, and the other. Know. Here's the other thing to me, Mark. I don't There's know a lot of coaches curious. with bad personalities. We saw someone Jim Schwartz. Who, oh, well, I was just gonna say we just saw someone Patricia. Inter- interview in Minnesota who has a risk. Exactly, per- and, you know. and that's what and that's what black folks would say. And I wrote about this in the in the column. John Thompson, the the, the iconic basketball coach from Georgetown, said a long time ago, "Look, we we it's not just the quality. I mean, well, it is a quality. We want the chance to fail. We want a chance to be imperfect. We want a chance to get hired." based on certain things, even if our personalities aren't right, you know, fitting into certain kind of stereotypes. And, and I think that's the, that's the key. And that's what you're speaking to, but real quickly, Mark, I'm curious what you think about this. There's, there are no black owners, right? Mm-hmm. And those folks are of a generation and folks with that kind of money still, you know, you're, you're comfortable with people ultimately, I think that look and sound like you. And that's the problem. And the, the ownership in the NFL still reflects the larger issues in our society. I mean, and it, I think that, and that's the issue. It may be. I feel like sometimes that's a, maybe that's a little too simplistic to say. I mean, there are a lot of uh, black general managers. I mean, we have one here in Detroit. I mean, there's one in Minnesota. There are a, a bunch of people in the front office that are, but, but coaching just, it's really weird to me. And so I was thinking about this and, and hear me out. And maybe this is a flawed theory, but I'll, there's this big youth movement among coaches and when you look at these young coaches of the head coaches of these NFL teams, they didn't really have a playing career. So they must have started a lot younger um, in their coaching routine. Does that have anything to do with it? Like they work their way up the ranks and where maybe some black uh, players that would be black coaches just are still playing. Well, I mean, there are plenty of young, young coordinators. But yes, it is also a matter of opportunity at the coordinator level. And who gets promoted? And the examples I just gave you with Leftwich, and although he was a quarterback, obviously, and mm-hmm. the NFL, and Biennemi was a player. But yep. you're you're right. I I think that there's a lack of opportunity there too, and that's reflecting. But I I really do believe until we see a change with the owners in the NFL, and have that be a little bit more reflective of the 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 uh, what, what's the right word here, Mike? Just the the demographics and the changing sort of uh, tide in our country, then we're really not going to see that kind of change. The NBA is very different, right? The ownership is yeah. a little bit different there. Well, and this isn't, this is, this kind of applies to all people. There was a book written about, uh, I think it was about admissions at Yale. And uh, 
in the early 1900s, they're like, wow, we have a lot of wasps going to Yale. So how are we going to change this? Uh, well, we got to diversify um, our board of trustees and the people in admissions. And so they did. And at that time, it's like, well, you know, we're still not going to have anybody who doesn't look like us. So we'll let some Jewish guys on the board. So they did. And then they started getting a lot of Jewish people going to Yale. And then, you know, everybody tends to favor their own kind, uh, either intentionally or just because there's some sort of ingrained pathways there. But, you know, it's, it, it, it's highly unlikely that we're going to get more diversity ranks in the NFL because we're going to come up with uh, half a dozen black owners of football teams. I think I heard that the Broncos are worth $4 billion. I mean, sure. But, but you can yeah. find an ownership group that is maybe a diverse ownership group, maybe led by Kanye to buy it. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> no, 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 but that's, but that's well, they'd have to play in the AFC West, I guess, then, right? No, but the idea that you're bringing up an entertainer, right? And, and I'm not getting on your mark, but that's but that's what we're talking about, right? The, sure, the okay. opportunity and black folks that have the kind of money, right, Oprah. to buy teams. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but hopefully we don't have to wait for that because I think this is an issue that we need solved before a bunch of ownership groups come together and a bunch of old dudes want to let go of their teams. I mean, these teams get handed down like uh, like uh, like bad genes in a poor family. How how much do you think this lawsuit from Flores really hurts the NFL? Um, I don't. That's a, that's a good question, Mark. I Thank think it, I think in the long run it'll help the NFL, right? That's I mean, because we're talking question. about we're, we're talking about it here. I actually think this has a chance to, to change some things and forget the. I mean, let's not forget some of the specifics in that lawsuit that may or may not have anything to do with race. I'm not entirely sure, but the allegations from Flores that the owner, Stephen Ross, U of M alum, this business school is named after him, was offered to pay him a hundred thousand dollars to yeah, lose games. I, I'm sure that's what the NFL is worried about the most to tell you the truth. Well, well, not only, yeah, not only that, but then, but then if you read the fine print, if you, if you read some of the details in that lawsuit, when he when he said he would not do that, then he felt like he was branded as difficult to work with, which again is code. Right? But you know what? I'm just going to throw this out there. There's a lot of reporting in Miami after he got fired before the lawsuit that he was just kind of an asshole to everybody in the front office, and he told I think Kenny Sills, you know, do not talk about politics or race or anything. And so you know there might there might be a possibility that regardless of his ethnicity, that he was hard to work with and was kind of an asshole. Yeah, so was so, Rick Carlisle. So, so real quickly, the yeah, point Rick, is, can you... And Rick Carlisle took the Mavericks to a you know championship. Sure, doesn't mean, I, I thought he was doing a good job as a coach, but obviously we don't see all the behind-the-scenes stuff that the Rick staff... Rick Carlisle's still in the NBA, right? Yeah. I mean, That's been, what I mean. Yeah, he's, he admitted he's to being an asshole. And he's, and he's gotten chance That's, after chance. And that's the point. Black he also folks deserve won, to be deserved his chance to be a, a prick. I think Flores could have gotten that. Jo- I think he could have gotten that job in Houston until he filed a lawsuit. Maybe, maybe. But you know, I you know, I like the sacrifice that he made because he knew he knew that was going to cost Ballsy. his career. Yeah, now, I I could see a college team hiring him. So, Sean, what do you think of that sportsman? You've had a chance to <laughs> swish it around a little bit, let it hit your palate. Get the. I think it's a uh, smooth, a uh, little earthy. Um, it's delicious. Uh, how is Carl, it? is that, is that, is that what the, uh, I, I don't know about earthy. Say? smooth. Yes. Earthy. How is it different from, uh, the regular one? Well, so the, everything's earthy. There you go. Yeah. The, the, the malt is toasted in this and there's a little bit less hops than in the Altus original. So you get a nice kind of malty toasty flavor at the beginning with a nice crisp finish, but not the crispest finish that you crispier finish that you get in Altus. 
So that's or a, earthy. That's Good. the first thing that Carl, and I'm not a beer connoisseur. I'm pretty much, uh, is there a beer in front of me? That's a good beer. Yeah. Mm. Um, we, uh, when we had the exchange of the keg, um, I gave him an empty one. He gave me a full one. That's how they do it at Altus. Mm-hmm. You buy one keg and, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the never-ending uh, never uh, cornucopia. But we, we had a, uh, a beer, and he said, what do you think? I said, I, it's a little maltier than the original. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the original, but mm-hmm. I think I like Sportsman a little better. I'm hearing that a little bit. Yeah. I'm hearing that a little bit. I just like that it's in a can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and not a bottle. There's a reason for that. Um, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Cost? No. Oh. Cans are more expensive. Really? And I, I and you're seeing it across the beer industry. A lot of different breweries are going to cans. for for The number one reason is the beer lasts longer. Light doesn't hit it, and it seals better than a bottle. Hmm. I've always liked cans because I like to bring a lot of beer places. And <laughs> they fit well in coolers. So I always like long better. necks. You know, I've always that, that to me it's, it's always been a great way to drink a beer. It's a shitty way to transport a beer, mm-hmm. and they really clank around in the uh, in the uh, cart if you're taking them back to uh, return them. But cans are pretty handy. But you were telling me earlier that there's a can shortage. Yes. Yes. Well, it, a couple things. So, Mark, you got to give them your returnable when we're done. I just returned a bunch today. You don't. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I'll take them then. I'm still an so, employee. So Ball, the, the major can manufacturer in the United States, came out and said, number one, we're raising prices for 20, 2022 by 30%. Number two. Is this a supply chain uh, COVID thing that we hear so much about, or is it or an is ex- an uh, opportunity to do so? Yeah, or is it, using that as an excuse okay. to do so. Another thing they said is, you have to order five truckloads of cans, not one truckloads of cans, truckload of cans. Okay. So ordering five truckloads of cans. How many cans is that, roughly? Every truck is about 278,000 cans. That's a lot of cans. It's a lot of cans. And There's a lot of small breweries that never order more than one truck a year. So is that why all the craft beer is in bottles? Well, usually most of the time, I think you'll see more and more of them going back to bottles if they're not yeah. in bottles now. Um, and that's the the major U.S. Um, uh, can manufacturer. You can get cans overseas, but they cost a little bit more. So you got five truckloads of cans? Uh, no, we no. bought one. Oh, okay. And we're <laughs> that'll last us a while. Okay. And we're kind of waiting to see if maybe a broker will get involved to buy the five truckloads and they might be different cans and bust them down among a lot of you small guys right. okay that's damn good so Thank so you. tell me about the bottle because i remember i was drinking i was drinking the original altus one time i said it tastes it tastes a little bit like stella to me and you're like no no it doesn't yeah. no it doesn't <laughs> and then you were explaining to me green bottles and brown bottles and clear bottles and sure sure what's yeah, that all about yeah you know well stella number one has rice in it so it's not a you know uh, of true beer. Anyway, well, I'm going to get yelled at for that, but <laughs> it doesn't have the Reinheitsgebot, you know, the German purity law. But uh, so, so nine Reisken Hockenbach. Right. Okay. The German purity law of 1516. Ah. Water, barley, hops, and yeast. Okay. So if you add something else in, it's, it doesn't follow that. But so if you put beer in a green bottle and you use a lager yeast, it will get skunky hence like st Pauli, stella heineken stella peroni altus altus were if you were to put it in a green bottle would get that skunkiness but that would be a sacrilege so you wouldn't do that okay no. but some people really like that skunkiness 
Where can we uh, buy it? Is it is it readily available? I already crushed the cans. Oh, cans. that's a dime you owe me. I'm on my second one. I'll take it back. Uh, now, so it. right now, Altus Sportsman is available in independent retailers, and Total Wine actually was cool enough to pick it up. It's not available in any of the large chains yet because we just launched it. We're hoping to have it available in larger chains in the fall or next spring. But any party store in the Metro Detroit area or anywhere in Michigan, for that matter, can order it if you ask for it. And the regular Altus you can get on the shelves as well, but also at Meyer. Yep, also at Meyer and Total Wine. And, well, Plum Market has both of them. Uh, Whole Foods you can get. Altus Original, they haven't picked up Altus Sportsman yet. Uh, Bushes has picked up Sportsman. Um, so, you know, just the really, you know, like the Meyer, the Kroger. We haven't been in Kroger with either brand, Costco, neither brand. But with uh, Altus, you know, you can get 12 packs of Meyer statewide. Well, I, I do think some of those Altus cans went through the, uh, the uh, redemption machine at Costco, if I recall correctly. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't want to. I believe that's a violation of state law, so I don't want to say any more. But uh, but Carl, thanks for bringing it in. It's it's great. I I know that um, that of those two hundred seventy eight thousand cans, there's probably a few that we could take off your hands. Yes. Yes, and uh, and you. we encourage you guys really to go good. get some. Go to altus.beer, That's a l t e s dot beer to find out where you can get it. and 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 uh, give me a ruling on the name because I know somebody's going to send me. A, it's Altus. It's not Altus. What 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 do you guys prefer? Well, it's Altus. I mean, that's how they Altus. pronounce it. It just means old in German. So oh, German people would person would say Altus. Okay, it's a German thing. You wouldn't understand. But you guys sell it new. Yes, we okay. do. All right, good. <laughs> Well, you're going to have to talk to the marketing department there. But, okay, hey, Carl, thanks very much. Altus.beer, Carl Erickson, bring in the brew. Um, boy, if we could get Chef Dave in here with some food, this show could go on for like seven hours. Yeah, so, uh, Cheers. Thank Altus you. Altus Sportsman, here's to you. Sean, um, save that can for me, would you? <laughs> oh, man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork. Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys. So, our Geek of the Week. Last week, there was a, somebody walked a nomination on the floor for Jim Harbaugh. It was quickly polled. Who, who put it, that up it, there? I it put it, it up there? No, I might have floated it. And you said, he's not, he's not a geek. I'm wondering if any... any why, why did you think he was a geek last week? Why do you have to bring this up again? Why do you... Put, <laughs> I don't want to defend the guy. Geek of the Week. Uh, Mike McDonald and Josh Gaddis for abandoning ship. No? Okay. No, that'd be a smart thing to do. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Uh, the Gaddis thing's weird, but who, McDonald. Who wouldn't do that? Right, Sean? Right. Thank Why you. is? Yeah. What? What did Herb Harbaugh do that was wrong? Uh, this is just the beginning, and then he's like, "This is." It. Oh, oh, hold on! I got a call coming in from Minneapolis. Uh, I'll be right back. Actually, you'll be right back for maybe the rest of your career. Oh, so he's a geek for saying it's just the beginning. He, he's it's everything about it, you know, the, uh, you know, going and doing it on signing day, you know, telling people, I think I, I'm out of here, leaving some instability in a program just when it looked like they had turned a corner. I find it amazing how non-Michigan people are far more judgmental about this than Michigan fans and alumni. Oh, I don't think that's true. You know how many people I heard commenting on Mel Tucker, $10 million, you know, I mean, sure, and Sean wrote about saying. this too. He, that's he, what Mark's saying. The fact that, the fact that, you know. Um, the rivals care more. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, let's put it this way. People who have nothing to do with each other's programs spend a lot of time talking about the other program. 
I don't. I just think Jim Harbaugh's a geek. I, don't know about that. I, I didn't. I didn't even know until Mark brought up that he was a coach at Michigan. No, I didn't know it because nobody's what got a it lame joke. Him. Sorry, but he's not our geek of the week because uh, he does something almost on a weekly basis to qualify. So we just got to we got to we got to call the herd here <laughs> before Jim Harbaugh. Um, Twin City Gate? I don't know. There was Pizzagate, the totally made-up, whacked-out right-wing claim that Hillary Clinton and her henchmen were running a child sex ring in the basement of a Washington, D.C. pizzeria that, by the way, doesn't even have a basement. They do have pizza. And the guy who went and fired his gun off found that out uh, just before he went to prison and said, oh, shit, I probably shouldn't believe that because it turns out it wasn't true. Um, yeah. Uh, well, now Steve Bannon and Brian Colfidge... Uh, or no, excuse me, Steve Bannon, pal, Brian Colfidge, and kooky congressional candidate Kimberly Lowe are claiming that the oh, National the Butterfly, Butterfly yes. Center in Mission, Texas, A is run story. by, and I got to put this in quotes because it's crazy enough that it has to be a direct quote, left-wing thugs with a sham butterfly agenda. Because I think we all, you know, I mean... We all recognize a, a legitimate butterfly agenda. It's a perfect cover. Right. I mean, well, think about it. You know, one minute it's a crystal, you know, it's it's like it's it's a cocoon and then it's a butterfly. What happened? You know, who's who transformed it? They is it is it is this like uh is this like three card money? Is this some sort of scam? Anyways, Colfidge, without any evidence, said the one hundred acre nature preserve in the site of a is the site of a rampant sex trade. Again in quotation marks. And I guess Mainly because of its location. Butterflies probably have sex. Right, because, you know, and, and the genesis is probably that the butterfly center, 100-acre nature preserve, was going to have the wall go right through the middle of it. Yeah. And they said, hey, don't don't put that in there. And I think they may have sued the government to stop the wall from destroying this nature preserve. So immediately, a lot of people said, okay, they're bad. Let's go after them. They became a lightning rod. Well, anyways, Lowe actually visited the Butterfly Center last month and demanded to see illegals crossing on rafts. And she was caught on tape claiming that the Butterfly Center's executive, di executive director is okay with children being sex trafficked, raped, and murdered. So I guess maybe that was on the 100 acres of the place that she didn't see. Well, it goes without saying that once again, there was no evidence offered to back up those outlandish claims. So now the North American Butterfly Association has closed the center indefinitely. One of the final straws came during a We Stand rally when it was warned to be, <laughs> to be armed at all times or out of town, which I'm laughing because anybody who spent time around butterflies, no, if you're not packing, there's a good chance you could be devoured by the butterflies. So they were already armed, but I, I, this notion they should get out of town, that just seems foolish to me. I really don't care about butterflies or the preserve, but just think about these people's families being put through this crap. Well, the other thing is, think of people who would want to spend all their time around butterflies. You know, well, this I is not like UFC fighters who are like, you Perfect know, cover. Yeah. I, I love the Carner Blue, and if you cross the Carner Blue, I'll put you in a, a sleeper hold. No, these are- The executive these... director being branded, you know, uh, okay with sex trafficking and child murder and rape. It's just, yeah. regardless of the butterfly situation, it's just an awful thing to put a person through. Well, and with no evidence and no basis for us, but guess what? They crossed somebody on something they cared about, so now they could be responsible for the most heinous things you can imagine. And believe me, some of these people have really good- imagination but uh but as we said you know this really seems to be coming back down to 
they got on the wrong side of the people who want a wall, and so now they have to take the fall. Oh, so well, that's why. we didn't build the wall, and Mexico didn't pay for it. But Brian Colfidge, Kimberly Lowe, and every other nut job who will believe any crackpot theory that justifies their warped worldview, no Altus for you, but you are our Geek of the Week. Altus? <laughs> you already messed it up. Damn it! See you again! I keep telling Carl, feed me beers till I get it right. So I'll take another Altus, please. Um, so I, yeah, I just realized, boy, I may be, I may be treading on some more political minefield. But oh, cheers! Here's the original. Um, the Altus. Uh, to mark the. Hey, by the way, what's the breakdown on cans for Altus and Sportsman? Well, Altus still is flying out the shelves because it's in Meyer, but Sportsman really had a strong start. So, 250 locations within the first week. But I mean, most of the most of the, the 278,000 cans are Altus. We and, split it. Oh, 50-50. Okay, so you'll see. Altus in the white can and Sportsman or in, Altus in the red can. I know he keeps messing it up. That's what I love about it. Altus. Altus, that's the right one? You can say it however you want as long as you drink No, it. but I'll keep just, correcting him. I'll just, I'll just, All I'll right, keep, Sean? I'll keep drinking him until, right. I, until I get it right because I, in my life at least, most of my good decisions come after I've had uh, many beers. People um, from the Flint area called Altese. Altese. That sounds fancy. But do they drink Genesee out there? Hopefully they drink Altus. Right. There's not that much Genesee out there. And 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 uh, God, when I lived in Allentown, I used to drink a lot of uh, Genesee cream ale. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I was like, "Oh wow, great!" You know, mm-hmm. Jenny Screamers. And then I had some at our backyard beer party. I said, "They don't taste like piss. you remember them." <laughs> I don't know. It may have been it may have been a price issue. But anyways, we are marking the second anniversary, more or less, of the pandemic by playing China Crisis. Working with China. fire and steel. Raising the metaphoric podcast question, is Mark fire or is he steel? Mm. Oh, what a great start to a song. Where does Sean Windsor fit in? <laughs> that was Sean saying, oh! He just wanted to get name checked.
never keep a beat too busy in my paradise put a crocodile in high office and something out of place and so you're not no you're not feeling i it. hated every part of that song <laughs> I, I don't know it just doesn't do anything for me well that that John, that was uh that was absolutely definitely not <laughs> <laughs> this might be the second worst song you brought in carl you gotta you gotta get a tie here no overwhelmingly no okay do you do you like it legitimately uh that's a no. That's a no. Don't pretend like you yeah, did. Yeah, you know. Terrible. So, so China Crisis. You know, it, it was suggested to me long ago that we play China Crisis as sort of a a COVID uh, COVID light uh, moment. China. Yeah, and I think we're we're getting on the backside of COVID, so maybe we can Awful. have a little more fun. The worst part about with, COVID was that song. No, with that China it's Crisis. So what do you think about the song? You're not running for council. You're not at a free press. You're not uh, at a news station. You can say what you think. What, what do you think? No. Um, I, you know, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's a circus peanut. You know, it's, it's styrofoam. It's, it's got kind of that. I like that. That chirpy, new wavy, you know, uh, uh, Michelob Ultra Awful. light feel to it. You know, I would listen to it. I wouldn't get up and dance to it. I probably wouldn't. Play it on a regular basis, but but here's the thing about China Crisis. It's really interesting. Unlike uh, a lot of their music, although some of it's China, not it's terrible. They they did a lot um, with uh, different instrumentation. I mean, they did a lot with strings. Saxophone is 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 you hear that in new wave a lot, particularly in bands like In Excess. 
But uh, I've been I've been thinking about a theme month, and I want to do a theme month. Yeah, this the, is the, Todd. Wasn't this Todd month? I uh, mean, Todd's kind of no, no Todd would like that song. Well, one of the Todds, Todd with two Ds, suggested a bunch of songs, none of which that I could tell had a connection to a Todd, except that it was a Todd who suggested them. And exactly, some of, it's Todd month. It's some his of choice. them. Were, oh, so Todd's take over? Yes, that was the whole point <laughs> of it. I'm not, I'm not rolling over for a bunch of Todds. <laughs> No offense to the Todds of the world, uh, some of whom have been generous donors to this show. I I think any Todd would have picked a better song. Actually, when I was, uh, here comes some free association. Thanks, Peter Werby. By the way, if you missed Peter Werby on last week's show, check it out. He was great, and uh, I got to read the book. But um, I was, uh, early on, when I was working at uh, the youth hostel in Killarney, Ireland, one of the guys who worked with me was from Manchester, and uh, there's a lot of Irish in Manchester, and so he has relatives in Ireland who... Anyways, so um, <laughs> some, some old guy came up in the middle of the day looking for somebody. I couldn't understand a word he said, and then he, he, then he took off. And um, my buddy Zach says, uh, uh, did you see... Did, you, did Jackie come by? And I said, Jackie? He said, Jackie, Uncle Jackie. And I said, uh, I don't know. He said, uh, was he on his Todd? I said, what? what? Was he on his Todd? It meant, was he on, was he, was he all alone? Did he come by himself? And I said, I, I can't help you, brother. But it turns out Jackie did come by. And a he terrible was story. His, he was on his Todd. <laughs> so I don't want to mess with Todd's, I guess. Wait, you worked in Killarney? I did. Where at? At the uh, Ahado House. All it's right. a, uh, it's a member of the Irish Youth Hostel Association. Oh, okay. So, um, anyway, so I, you know, uh, so somehow we got onto the Todds. <laughs> At any rate, I want to do a theme that song month. Was terrible. Yeah, I, we're we're bringing it we're bringing it back around. I want to do a theme month on new wave bands that use very weird instrumentation. And China Crisis, you may hear them again because they used oboe, they had flugelhorn, all kinds of stuff like that. Ugh, but here's no. the thing: some of their albums were very critically well-received, and one reason why is because a guy who produced two of their albums was Walter Brecker of... Uh, Steely Dan, Steely right? Dan. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and he actually got credit as being part of the band on one of the albums because he, he was so influential in it. Why does new... Why I, does I tend new... to think of, of, of Walter Brecker and... Um, and uh, who's his, his, his buddy in Steely I Dan? I know, I can't think of his um, name. Shit. Donald Fagan. Yes, there you go. As as being very meticulous and and very very as craftsmen, and to see Walter Becker hanging out with these guys for two albums, I'm like, they may have been on the the heavy heroin phase. I'm not sure, but there's a great there was a series on one of these music channels um, about uh, how they made the song, and if you get a chance to check it out, you should check out the one for Steely Dan, um, for. Um, I'm drawing a blank now. Um, the one with uh, Michael McDonald in the background, uh, Peg. Yeah, Peg. And uh, <laughs> and they break it down. And because these guys are such pricks, they isolate all the uh, tracks of Michael McDonald. And they're making fun of him because they're like, "Well, what do you, you know, Michael? What do you do?" Because they would bring in you know the most the the most virtuoso mus- musicians ever. Have them play on the 
tracks and they're like, yeah, we didn't like that. We're not going to use it. It's like, if you brought in the best, you'd like, okay, we got to get this in here somehow. You know, I don't care. We'll do a B side. I don't care. Whatever. Fascinating. Yeah. And so they bring it. So anyways, they isolate all these tracks with Michael McDonald, <laughs> who was the lead singer for the Doobie Boys and Brothers. And uh, my God, one Altus has done this to him. And they're making. I'm only halfway through. And and was it Altus? I, I, I was just gonna say I mispronounced it. So so they're making <laughs> fun of him, and they isolate the tracks, and it's hilarious to hear him because when you listen to Peg, those Michael McDonald riffs are, you know, they really stand out. It really is one of the distinctive features of the song. But when they isolate the different tracks, none of this like, covers for the fact that you chose a really bad song. But but sometimes a bad song can be. China. The beginning of a great conversation. If now, this would be the exception to both rules. Yes. Thank you, Sean, if for you, saving us. But it's just a series have, of Mike McDonald going, Peg, Peg, Peg. If you, uh, if you do the theme month with the this kind of stuff, are you, is it going to be accompanied by the wonderful story you just told about <laughs> Ireland? Uh, I will be on my Todd. Well, can we just have Sean pick the songs for, for a month? Sean month? I, I've, I've had enough of the talking heads. Can't the, name, okay. can't the name of this album is The Talking Heads. No, if Sean, if, no talking heads. If Sean, if Sean wants to, uh, as we say now, curate uh, Room Seven Six and Nine, I'm more than happy to pass the uh, to pass the baton. Play more church, the church. Mm. Yeah, but we've already played some church. We we gotta we gotta bring some new stuff in. This is this is supposed to be a voyage of discovery. Play Jim James. Jim James. Okay. Other than having know. unimaginative parents, who is he? Literally, literally writing it down. I am. Who is he? I don't know. Just some guy. Sean's heard, buddy. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I don't know if I like his music or not. I just heard one song I thought was pretty great, but I'm not sure it would quite fit Mike's parameters. Hey, we're willing to. Uh, we're willing to expand horizons. Um, I'll look for Jim James. This isn't the Kool Aid guy, is it? Here, it's called "Here in Spirit." Is the song, Mark? All right. Is it New Wave or is it just a song you like? It's a song I like. I don't know. I don't think you'd consider it New Wave, but does it have a didgeridoo in it? Is it terrible? No, listen to oh, it. Then it's not New Wave. Thanks, <sighs> so, so, so <laughs> thank you for making me a prop. So much, uh, so much hurtful. Mark, I, it's funny you've made New Wave worse to me, ML. Wow. So uh, we've we've solved another <laughs> mystery here. How, how many how many altists does it take to make Mark a mean drunk? It's about one and oh, a zero. third. By the way, does Sportsman have more alcohol than the regular? Oh no. What's going no, on? it's, it's 5%. 5%. 5%. Okay. Yeah, is that okay? You okay with that? No, it's good. I just I just like to know these things. Um, Pussy. <laughs> well, thanks, Sean. Um, uh, okay, so we want to thank uh, the other people who make this show possible. Obviously, uh, we we value our, our association with Altus um, and Altus. The new flavor. <laughs> nice catch. And then there's Sportsman. Um, they got three flavors out there. Just uh, ask for the first two. Just, <laughs> yeah. Altus, Altus, or Sportsman. Uh, by the way, when I returned the keg, I said to Carl, what, what do I do with it? He said, take it to any party store. Yep. So I walked into this party store. I got an empty keg. They said, just put it over there. I said, wow. There, there's like Just a, like returnables. There's like a friendship in the beer community. No that, deposit? Uh, it's an... Well, actually, I did try. It's like there's got to be like a hundred dollars on this, right? Because it's of like a thousand times heavier than an empty beer can. Of they're like you tried. They like just put <laughs> it over there. Ass money when he dropped it yeah. off. Yeah. So just leave it over there. And I said, "How much for the tap?" And they said, that, "No, I, I I returned the tap today." So, I should have right. kept that. You can always use the tap. I gave it to him. So I'm oh wow, okay. There you go. He's got it. Sounds back. like you owe him money. 
No, no, I, I returned it. It's, it's right here. In fact, we primed <laughs> it. I think that was a that was a pristine tap, and now it's now it's 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 survived the test of fire. Or what did what did people do in Game of Thrones? What did you have to go through? Like the wizard's hairdo or something to Yeah, that's it. I don't know. Somebody help me with this one. Um, Are you okay. gonna be able to read any feedback? Yes, no. No, oh, first okay. we have to thank our donors. First of all, Bryant checks in again. This guy is he's a recidivist, but he has no comment. Perhaps because he put the money where his mouth is and then put the money in our pocket, which we encourage everybody to do. And then first time, long time listener, first time donor, my mom Aww. sent a donation. Which I know sounds cool, except if she just gave me the money, I wouldn't have to share it. But I think this is her way of trying to support support Sean, who we all know is her favorite part of the show. Well, yeah, you got in a fight with him in front of her. And she took his side. Because he was right. I'm sorry. Actually, I think he's far left, but, but yes, he... Uh, he was correct. Politically correct. Um, anyway, so Mark, how do people donate? Because we just we can't keep sponging off my mom. As it is, the estate is already diminished. There's not going to be much for me to inherit. Well, there's a website out there, mlsoulofdetroit.com, and a little donate button. Just click on it. Takes you to your uh, PayPal. So my understanding is we'll people take anything. Have, people have gone to the website and they've tried to figure out how to donate because obviously they want to support this show and they're just like. I'm flummoxed. I cannot figure it out. It, it's really that easy. You just go to the website, and there's a button that says donate, and you just click it, and then you give money. That's how it works. Pretty okay. simple. So give it another shot, people. Um, we also encourage you to support the show. It's very, in fact, it's shamefully cheap to be a sponsor of this show. Sometimes we just accept free beer. Other times we'll take money. But if you would like to sponsor the show in some form or fashion, Send us an email at mlsoulofdetroit at gmail.com. That's also how you can correspond with us, and lots of people have. Um, man, Ford, in the effort to build a high-tech campus around Michigan Central Depot, got big headlines and a lot of love from Mayor Duggan last week. But our listeners, appropriately, were a little skeptical. Not cynical, because oh, yeah. that's bad, but they were skeptical. So Rachel writes, hey, Crane's editor. Mm-hmm. Referring to Crane's uh, business. We need you to spin that Ford Motor Co. walking back all original promises of actually putting thousands of high-paying Ford employees in the Corktown train station or even our name on the damn thing is good, actually. I hate to be a terminal cynic about this, along with everything else. Sure sounds like they've already decided internally that Ford EV offshoot is bouncing out of state. So, a little context. There was a report in Bloomberg that said Ford's thinking about maybe carving off a little bit of their company and making it EV only. They cited anonymous sources, uh, so maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Well, you don't spend $11 billion in another state to not move stuff with it. Eh, well, I mean, if you're going to do your, if you're going to build a canvas, it's supposed to be the flagship of this whole new endeavor in Detroit. It's hard for me to think that they're going to just move everything to. Kentucky and Yeah, but Tennessee. they're already backing out of it a little bit. Well, it, it's not it's not what we were sold on. Nothing ever is. That's the only thing. Right. They uh, sell yeah. you and then things either evolve or it turns out to be, you know, a bait and switch and we'll see what happens Always. next. But Michelle is uh referring to that Bloomberg article is not buying any of it. She says, so all the newsroom folks bootlick Ford today with some PR stunt at Michigan Central Station in Corktown. I guess we'll just ignore this. Bloomberg News scooping 
that Ford Motor Co- Company is plotting a spinoff into two companies, the literally dying legacy petrol biz and the future of the company, the electric EV. The Ford EV company will be run by former Apple Tesla executive. Does anyone believe an Apple Tesla exec is going to headquarters such a company in Detroit no. or Dearborn or Michigan at all? No way. I doubt it very highly. And if they were, wouldn't they announce that today in Corktown? Like how they left for Tennessee and Kentucky without even asking Michigan and Whitmer to counter. I worry the same will happen with the Ford EV spinoff. Michigan will get to keep the legacy petrol biz, which is dying. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm with her. I think she had the nail on the head. But I bet I'm not. Well, uh, you know, I don't know about that. One of the reasons why Ford went to Kentucky and Tennessee is because the cost of energy here is so high and one of the big companies so one of the big nonprofits or special interest groups however you want to look at it that is really critical of the power companies in michigan is actually all the other companies in michigan the manufacturing companies who feel like they could make a lot more money if they didn't pay so much for electricity and i think that was a big reason why ford went to kentucky and tennessee and i think since then we've seen the state pivot and work really hard to get GM to do some of their EV and their battery stuff here in Michigan. It was the best leverage GM got, man. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, it's sort of, uh, well, it, it's sort of like, um, you didn't get the job you wanted and the bills are mounting and somebody offers you a job you don't want. And you're like, uh, okay, I'll take it. I'm not saying I'm there yet. Just, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. This thing's a mess. I'm got too personal there. For well, honestly, I'm scared but, uh, as to what, what's going to happen with Ford here. Well, the only time that I recall uh, auto company splitting in half was when GM created the legacy company with all the debt yeah. as part of the bankruptcy. So there is a precedent for that companies. Was fi- there's a whole financial deal. Though. Yeah, and that was part of the federal bailout. Sure. But, uh, but you know, one reason I can see Ford not saying, hey, by the way, we're going to split into two companies now, stand by, is uh, the F listing on uh, the New York Stock Exchange would have gone through the floor. And I think that stock has been making a comeback. And I, I think the Ford family, which owns some preferred shares of that, probably do not want to see that stock bottom out. So if they're going to do it, I'm not saying they're not going to do it. I, I, you know, again, the sourcing on the Bloomberg story, a little thin, but, you know, who knows? Somebody talked and maybe they're going to be the profit here, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. But, um, but yeah, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have announced that then either. So, so it could still happen. But anyways... Uh, Rachel and Michelle, very concerned. Um, and Mark. And Mark. And we'll keep, we'll keep an, eye, an eye on all that. Meanwhile, back on the east side, Marcus, with a C, like our Mark, inquires, Hey, ML and team, I listen to your podcast. Just moved back to Detroit after 18 years on the west coast. The roads on the east side are an absolute disgrace. Any chance you know who can move the needle on Canyon Road. Well, the governor said she's going to fix the damn roads and we're going to spend another billion dollars on it. I don't think that's going to extend to a city street, but there is something you can get an app on your phone called, um, uh, da, 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 psh, I got to be more prepared. Improved I'm not, I'm Detroit. I'm not editing this. What is it? Improved Detroit. Improved Detroit. It's a free right. app and you can file a report to get a road fixed. Uh, I filed a lot of these Does reports it work? when I was running for city council. Sometimes it worked. But more often than not, I get email back saying, it's been six months since you filed your report. Has it been fixed? If not, let us know. If so, don't respond and we'll just consider it solved. Well, that's interesting. What kind of uh, success rate do you think it's had? 
Um, well, you can go and look at Improved Detroit, and it's a free app for anybody, and it tells you how many things have been reported. And I think it also reports – it also marks how many have been fixed. But uh, but Canyon Road, for people who know it, is by Baldock Park on the east side, and it is pretty sketchy. And it, it's better than it was. I'll just say that because when I was in high school, there was a dip there. Mm that uh, you could have filmed the opening to the Dukes of Hazard by hitting that at the right <laughs> speed. It's sort of as bad then as the Ashland bump is now. But, um, but you know, try Improve Detroit. And, of course, call your council person. <laughs> who, by the way, was in the paper the other day with a pretty impressive new hairdo. So, uh, so things are happening in the District 4. So, uh, Councilwoman Letitia Johnson, you can... You can reach out to her because she uh, she said she'd be very responsive. Let's let's test that theory. Um, Sean, we hope to have you back in studio next week. Uh, what's what's going on with you? You've been cranking out the comms. You you faked being sick for a while, and now you're you know your guilt has driven you to be the most productive man in the history of sports journalism. No, I didn't uh, write yesterday. No. <laughs> No, and last week was a little slower than the week before, but uh, yeah, I will be back next week in, right. in studio. In what, studio. What's your Super Bowl prediction? You can't have a sports person on this week without asking. Oh yeah, I, don't, I haven't thought about it much. Oh. I am gonna write, I'm writing about Stafford today, though, for tomorrow. I, want, I just want a prediction. Is it that hard? You know who's be- playing, right? Because we can't write enough about Matthew Stafford. You know who's playing in the game, correct? Uh, his team, right? The Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. So who's going to win? I don't know. I don't know. The Bengals. That is the most Sean answer. The Bengals, really? Okay. No, the most Sean answer would be, I think it's the Bengals, but I feel bad about that. So <laughs> I, I hope it's a tie. And everybody goes home. What are you, do you get, don't you give a prediction in the paper? Uh, I probably have to. Are I you embargoing your prediction? Least, least uh, maybe. I, you know, like I said, I hadn't thought about it much. We'll probably have to. It's the least favorite part of this job because uh, I'm not good at it. I know. I hate, reader, I hate readers picks. love to remind me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I was listening to Drew and Mike the other day, and somebody said that uh, Matt Stafford has never lost a bowl game. Excuse me? I think the Georgia Bulldogs lost to your Michigan State Spartans. Oh, really? Yes. That in fact, Maz they away. lost. Didn't, Ma- didn't Maz say that? They lost in, well, he took it from, like, everything, Maz. He took it for free from somebody. <laughs> by the way, Carl, if Maz is here, you better bring, like, a pallet of Except beer. He's he like, doesn't drink. Hey, I heard you got 278 <laughs> cans of beer. That means you can spare 278,000 for Maz and he my kids. He, he doesn't drink, but he would give it to other people. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, hey, I got a boy who'll kill up with some beer. It's like, oh, who was that? Somebody shows up at your house with a, with a, 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 a forklift, and it's like, I'm here for the beer. It's like, who the hell are you? Like, a man said you'd give me, you know, a couple of pallets of beer. Anyway, he he attributed that to L.A. sports writer, but I remember watching Michigan State make one of many amazing comebacks against the Bulldogs, and that's kind of when my skepticism of Stafford started because I thought, you got this big arm, you got this SEC team, and you can't close the deal against uh, a rising but still very – uh, undeveloped un, uh, Michigan State program. Yeah, sorry. And he, this is the first year actually he has defied me. What do you mean? Well, because he's always never delivered. I've, I've, since that game, I've labeled him a buster. Uh, oh, please. You read it here first. I, I don't, look, I've been very hard on him, but he's not a great quarterback. He's above average NFL quarterback, and he's good enough to win the Super Bowl, and he probably will. Incredible arm, but uh, 
I don't know. So, anyways, okay, Sean, and what's going on the Sean and, and, and Carlos podcast? Uh, more nonsense. Okay, well, that's great. <laughs> How about that, there's we. Well, we we'll we'll give you high marks for consistency. <laughs> you did a much better job selling it. Yeah, uh, and Sean, by the way, right after you wrote your column, not long after you wrote your column, saying if Michigan State continues to play like this, they'll be very successful. They did not continue to play like that. And we're very unsuccessful. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. So thanks for the curse. Well, you know, the, the column I'd written a couple of days before that, um, I'm trying to think, oh, yeah, Michigan went down and beat Indiana. Michigan State beat Wisconsin. I combined them into one column, and Michigan State fans were furious with me. And uh, I thought, okay. Oh, a bunch of babies. Yeah. You know, you know how it goes. I have no idea how it goes, but you'll explain that and more on the next episode of the Sean and Carlos podcast. Yeah, it'll be riveting. Wow. Um, no future in marketing. Um, okay. By the way, by the way, Mark, how do I sound? Because I'm I'm talking into a very fancy Yeti. You sound good. Yeah. Well, no, you yeah sound good. If, if people don't listen to the words, you sound fantastic. The sound is good. By the way, I just nope. looked it up. Georgia beat, content. Mich- Georgia beat Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl when Stafford was the quarterback. 24 to 12. Just saying. What? I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the internet's never wrong about anything. Georgia beat Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl. I'm looking at it right now. Stafford was the quarterback, 2009, from the 2008 season. Oh, 24 who? to 12. No. So take it back. Was D'Antonio the coach? Yes, he was the coach. I think Michigan State won that. I think that's wrong. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, Carl, yeah. help me out here. I know you were you're drinking the original Altus, which is why you're blind in one eye, not the one that you're selling now. You need to apologize. Good shit. Right. I, I don't worry. <laughs> what bowl game did you think it was in what year? Uh, I just remember being at Dan Shine's house and uh, the game was over. Would, and, would it be and the Outback Bowl? Georgia missed a field goal. That was Michigan a different State. Georgia team, right? Yeah. Was, was it a different Outback. Georgia team? Yeah. Looks Matthew like Matthew Stafford, the quarterback of that team? No. Who was the quarterback? Uh, are we talking about this Outback Bowl? I'm confused now. Well, yeah, it was the Outback Bowl, 33-30. to 30. 33. That's the one Michigan State won. Yeah. Yeah. And Matthew Stafford was not part of that team. Actually, in 2011, wasn't wasn't that a good Lions team that year? Sean, help me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Aaron yeah, Murray. Aaron was. Murray. So um, apo- apologize to Tom Mazaway. I got Maz's back here. Okay. So I, I'm not going to apologize. For, and to for, Stafford. I'm not going to apologize to Mazaway for being a relentless scrounger. And I'm not going to apologize to Matthew Stafford for being a guy who can't get it done, although he may prove me wrong, and I may owe him an apology next week. I love the fact that you didn't bother to look it up, too, either. No, because I remember watching that game. I remember watching Matthew Stafford in a bowl game and yeah. not being impressed by him. Well, he still beat he was you, playing 24-12. This... I don't know. That, that, that game, I think, uh, I think that game's being disputed. Okay. Mm. Whatever you want to say. Yeah, good. Ah, was it? Wasn't that the National Butterfly Center Bowl <laughs> that uh, you're so, you're Matthew so Stafford was torturing some? You are fake news. Some chrysalises in the, uh, in yeah, the basement apologize. of their, their cafeteria. Apologize. Admit you were wrong. Just apologize and get friendly with Cyrus. I'm I'm going to have to double check this. If if apologies are due, they'll come next week. At it. But who are you? You don't think oh, you don't think nice. Harbaugh's a geek? That's nice. Your yeah, judgment is already suspect. Staff, okay, damn it. This, you, you guys are just dragging us out. Uh, Stafford okay. and Georgia. Who, uh, who was the quarterback on that team for Michigan Aaron State? Aaron Murray. Oh, for Michigan State that year? Uh, was it Cousins? Was that yeah, Hoyer? Cousins. Oh, it was Cousins. Cousins. Hoyer lost to him. 
in uh, that. Yeah, that's other. what I mean. Was it Hoyer who lost to yes, Stafford? Yeah. yeah. And by the way, that game you thought Stafford was so bad in twenty of thirty-one, two hundred fifty yards, three touchdowns, one int. So he he missed not eleven too, passes. Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, but Brian Hoyer was eighteen of thirty-four, no touchdowns, one interception. Take it back. Apologize. Brian Hoyer still has a future in this league. I'll just tell will you. not apologize. What are you, Trump? Apologize. You were wrong. I pardon everyone. Who is just, a there we go. Just admit you're wrong. I'll check it out. I, I, I will start next week's show with an apology if one is due. I just have to independently verify this. Because I remember oh my watching. Oh, God, really? Uh, okay. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just tell you what I told Letitia in my, in my concession call. If the numbers continue the way they're going, congratulations. Okay. Uh, if my independent research confirms what you've told me, I hereby apologize okay. to Matthew Stafford. Okay. And to that, That's weak, that but okay. L.A. sports tweeter who Tom Mazaway was, who was correct, from. but yeah, okay. Yeah, I, 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 none of this was original reporting by Mazaway. It was all by the guy in L.A., so I apologize to the guy in L.A. <laughs> but he carried the load. Boy, that's an opening. Okay, great. All right. Can we yeah, just wrap? So we're just going to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, Sean, help me out. I want to apologize yeah. to Cyrus for taking but, so long. Yeah, there we to go. To take us out. Can you dig that? Stafford! Can you dig it? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it. Dark forces are at work. Evil forces that wish to destroy our family. I'm going to let it. The Lord has always had the full of Detroit. Thanks. Yeah!